fitted into this hour time and take place there. Again, I want to encourage you, if you're new to the study or if you're just getting started with us, it really is kind of key to go back and get your footing and listen to the first, from the first series up to where we're at to get an understanding of what we're doing, where we're at, and where we're going. But we'll talk about that some more. We were last week talking about the second vision that we've been dealing with, and John is taken from the world reality into that heavenly realm where we're seeing this cosmic, I call it a cosmic Broadway play kind of thing, unveiling all before him. And as he's gone into there, he's, he's given instructions. He's t- I mean, he's seeing the throne room, which we compared to the temple or the tabernacle, I should say, from the instruction that was given to Moses, John's seeing it in the whole, in the fullness of that realm. So that was chapter 4 as we got the layout. And, and again, if you didn't get those notes from last week, we have them for you if you'd like them. But that was chapter 4. And so tonight, chapter 5. And again, having given us the description of what you could call the throne room in heaven, that brings us to chapter 5. And John is going to be pretty specific here. He has seen the whole. And now he says, suddenly, he's he's seeing something that's taking place in that throne room. After he's given us the description, the sardis, and and, and and all that stuff that's there, the rainbow. And now in chapter 5, in verse 1, he says, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. Okay? Now, a book, of course, in those days was not a book as we have a book with a binding. A book back then, obviously, was a scroll. And you could write on the inside of the scroll, and you could write on the outside of it as well. He says that it was written on the inside and on the back, which means that this thing is absolutely jammed full. There, there, there was so much to say that there is writing not only on the inside, but then on the back as well. So here is a book that is overflowing with words. However, it was sealed with seven seals. Now, I'll remind you again, we're into symbols. Okay, there's a lot of stuff here that you can't take numbers literally. You have to understand the symbolism behind them along with everything else. So if you had a scroll and you put seven pieces of wax on it, it seals it. You cannot open it. It, 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 it's, it is sealed. So it says in verse 2, he says, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and break its seals? Now, I'm going to tell you right up front, that's, that's a rather strange word to use. One had to be worthy to open the book. So whoever could open that book had to be of a certain character, correct? So it didn't say who is strong enough to open it. And it doesn't say who's knowledgeable enough to open it. It says who is worthy. The person who opens that book must be a worthy person. So on chapter 5 and verse 3, it says, No one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. That term, I began to weep greatly. That's very significant as well. If you read through the book of Revelation, John does not weep any place else in this book. So, I mean, he saw some pretty rough things as we go through the book. I mean, there are beasts that are going (coughs) to, excuse me, rise out of these pages 
that, that are worse than your worst nightmares, to be honest with you. They're going to look more scarier than you do when you get up in the morning. I'm just saying. But John, John just would look at that and he'd just write it down and, 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 and that description of what he would see. But when he saw this, now remember, again, we're talking about that huge cosmic Broadway presentation. It, it, it is a thing that is happening right in front of him. And when he saw that little book, in, 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 the, in, in what's taking place in front of him, that little book could not be opened. There was no one worthy in heaven, on earth, or under to do it. And at that point, he is so overwhelmed that he begins to weep. And he not only wept, but it says he wept greatly. That's convulsively. That, that is a very uncontrollably heaving in, 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 in that sense. So here is a man who is so involved in what he is seeing, and that little book is so important that he weeps greatly. The interpretation of what that little book means are, let's say, <laughs> a multitude that's out there. So I say this vision is pivotal and under and it, it's a, it, as far as to the rest of this book. Whatever is in that book it is, is, is the rest of the revelation that we have in front of us. If we are wrong here, we're going to be wrong everywhere. So I'll say this, and, and, and again, I'm, I'm just saying it because what we're doing here is talking about a historical view, not, 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 not a different theology or doctrine. This is a historical view. So again, it's been suggested by a lot of modern expositors out there that that little book contained the history of the seven-year tribulation, which is yet future to now. Now, I'm just going to say it this way to try to make sense where I'm going. But honestly, if I was living in A.D. 95, and there was a little book that told about a tribulation that would not occur for at least another 2,000 years, I don't think I would weep greatly. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I'd probably go, oh, pass the potato chips, you know, because I could have cared less. It wouldn't have bothered me that much. Besides, I really like potato chips. Hello. But to me, this weep greatly is of huge, enormous importance. He wept greatly, convulsively. So whatever was in that book was vital to him right there and then and to those that he oversaw on the mainland. In fact, for ages of Christians to come, that book was of enormous uh, importance. Now, notice it says where this book was. It was in the right hand of him who sat on the throne. It was, in, it, it was in the hand of him who sat on the throne, specifically the right hand of him who sat on the throne. <laughs> Somebody pray for the pastor right now, would you please? He's got to get these words down a little bit better. That, understand that the right hand throughout Scripture the right hand is the symbol of power. It is the right hand of power. So this book, and remember, I'll, I'll say it again, it is all symbols, was in the hand of the sovereign God of power. Whatever this book is, it is connected with God's sovereignty, his ruling of his world, and it is connected with his power wherewith he rules his world. And as a result of that, we are back again to this, no one was worthy. Now, I want to suggest, you, putting all this together, that in that book were the decrees of God, the will of God. Here was all that God purposed for mankind. Here in this book, were all the joy-filled plans that God 
had for man. And at the Garden of Eden, when man fell, man put on those seven seals with his sin. Man had sealed up the purposes of God for himself. Man could not enjoy God's purposes. And, and, and man, we know, was made to sit where? In heavenly places. Man was made to walk with God, but he, man has effectively sealed up that will and purpose so that he can no longer enjoy God. Sin did a job, man. Sin separated us. Sin put all that he had for us and sealed it up. That's the point. I mean, because, because of the way God made the universe and man, man must open it. That's the point. Man has to open this. A good study of Genesis will underline that. Man was made Lord of this planet, as we know. Man was the only one on this planet that was unprogrammed, okay? In other words, man had a choice. And whatever man did, God said, that's the way it's going to be on earth. Man was made under God, a, a vice lord, if you will. God said that he, God, would do nothing on earth directly. He would only do it through man. Therefore, and I say that because the decisions and choices of man on earth were final. Whatever man, whatever man said on earth, that's the way it is. And you know the story. Man handed the planet over to the devil. Man sold himself as a slave to sin and Satan. If ever man is going to be free, if, if man is ever going to open that, that scroll of God's purposes and begin to see what God willed for him, it's got to be man who does it. Do we get that? Okay, John was weeping greatly. For whoever can take away sin and its, and its bondage, that person himself must be without sin. And whoever takes away sin and bondage of sin from the human race must himself at least be equal in worth to the entire race. Search heaven. That's what it's, notice he says, there was no one in heaven. And to that I say, well, of course there wouldn't be anybody in heaven. They're all spirits in heaven. We're looking for a man. A man has got to be worthy to open the book and to release men to men the purposes and wills and the will of God. Hello? Does that make sense? There is nobody in heaven. Angels are of no use. They, they have never sinned, but they're of no use. We're looking for a man. And I say this carefully. <coughs> Excuse me. And I say this reverently. I, I'm, I'm being very careful uh, as, as much as I know how. But God is of no use. For he's not a man either. If that makes sense to you. So he looked on earth and he says... There's nobody there either. Because although we have plenty of men there, they are not worthy. There is no one in heaven and there is no one on earth. And it's at that point that it says that he heard a voice from behind him. And it says, one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of of David, out of the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing, as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book 
out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. I get excited about this part. John said one of the elders, and you know who that is. That's a representative of that symbolic church that came to me and said, don't weep because one has been found worthy. One who was of heaven, but is of earth. God who has joined himself to our humanity. So he is in heaven because only heaven could do it, but only man could do it. So God had joined himself to our humanity. He said, don't weep. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Now by this time, I hope you're going echo, 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 echo. Where does that come from? The lion that is from the tribe of Judah. Do, do you remember Genesis? Well, you got it in your notes there. Genesis 49, Jacob was blessing his sons, and he comes to his son Judah, and in verse 10 of chapter 49, there he says, you are a young lion, a crouching lion. And it says, you will have the scepter and the rule of staff. From the tribe of Judah, the rulership would always come until, and remember these words here, and rem, until Shiloh comes. Until Shiloh comes. The word Shiloh means he who is, who, he whose right it is, or it means the worthy one or the one who is worthy. That's clear back in Genesis. Until Shiloh, the one who is worthy, comes. So, says old Jacob, the kings of Israel will always come from the tribe of Judah until the one who is worthy shall come, until he whose only right it is to reign shall come, and then it says that unto him shall be the gathering of the people. Shall be the gathering of the people be. John says, at that point then I turned and I saw the lion, which is from the tribe of Judah. I saw he whose right alone it is to rule. That's what he said. I saw he who alone is worthy. Echo, echo, echo. I, I think it's very significant that as he took the book out of the hand of him who sat on the throne, immediately you'll find heaven said, worthy is the lamb. T -t take a look at it. It, it. it says, oh boy, let me get real close here. I'm glad you got it in your notes. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. You don't need that interpreted. They give you the interpretation. But it says, and they sang a new song, saying, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with you and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands talking to church here folks saying with a loud voice what worthy hmm you know what they were doing? They were confessing in the word worthy. And what were they confessing? This is Shiloh. This is the one spoken of in Genesis 49, verse 10. What does it mean, the, the, the root of David? A, a root of David. The one designated the lion of the tribe of Judah. His roots... Are David. Do you remember what God said to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 and 13? It says this, When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendants after you 
who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. David would have a descendant. That is, David would be a root. And out of that root of David, out of David's humanity, David's flesh and blood and bone, there would ultimately come one. It says a descendant of David. It says that he would sit upon the throne of David and he would rule forever and ever. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and of his kingdom, there shall be no end. David was the root. Jesus was the vine. He was the lion that was spoken of to Judah. David was the first young lion of Judah. Uh, he was the king, first king of Judah's tribe. And to him was sent a descendant, if you will, a flower. Okay? That is why you have that I call it that, that miserable first chapter in the New Testament. Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, blah, 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 blah. What are they trying to tell you? You notice what it tells you. It goes all the way back to David. They are trying to tell you that this one who is the subject of this book is descended from David. David is the root, and it goes way back to Abraham, which is included in the fact that he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So at this point, you know, I don't need to interpret what does the lamb mean, because actually at this point in our interpretation of Revelation, I, I find it to be amazing, because everyone agrees with me. Nobody ever agrees with me about anything else, but they, they agree with me that on, on this... Nobody has a problem when you read of a lamb in the book of Revelation, right? Everyone immediately says, oh, of course, that's Jesus. Not a problem. Now, what I'm asking you is to use that same logic for every other part of Revelation. And when you do, you'll find that this is a very simple book to understand, approaching it from this, I mean, of course it is Jesus. It, it tells us that it's Jesus here, a lamb. I mean, hey, didn't John the Baptist describe Jesus as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? And I'll remind you, because what we happen to, what we often do within the church is we immediately think of takes the sin of the world. We think of actions. But again, sin is not an action. It's a condition which results in actions. So he's dealing with the condition of the world. And of course, a lamb summed up all the bloody sacrifices in the Old Testament, right? I mean, yeah, they had rams and they had bulls and they had goats and they had pigeons. But the one animal that in the mind of a Jew summed up all the animals that were offered to God, it was always the lamb. A lamb is what I would call almost theological shorthand for the sacrifices of the Old Testament. So here is Jesus, the one spoken of in prophecy, and he has come. He is God, but he is man. And he has come to break the seals and to shower blessings upon the human race. And it says that he was a lamb as if slain in verse 6. He was a lamb standing there as if slain. Uh, by the way, incidentally, the word lamb in the book of Revelation is very... Well, it's a very special Greek word. It's not just lamb, okay? The Greek word that is used here in Revelation for lamb is little lamb. Or you might even say that it's a dear little lamb. It is the idea of a fluffy 
little white lamb. It's not just the word for a lamb. Hey, got a lamb here. No, it's a fluffy little white lamb. So here he says, I saw coming to the throne a little white lamb as if slain, which slain in sacrifice. They killed the lamb for sacrifice. How? By slitting their throats. And so here is a lamb, a dear little lamb, coming up to the throne, and he has this bloody gash of sacrifice on his neck. But he lives. Symbol, 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 echo, echo, echo. I, I, I don't have to think too far for that. I mean, he had only just finished saying to John, I am he that was dead, but behold, I am alive forevermore, right? I mean, this is risen Christ. The Greek word for as if slain, the Greek word there is as if freshly slain. I mean, look these things up. Don't, don't just take my word for it. Look them up. It's as if slain, as if freshly slain. Here is, is the little lamb who looks as if he has just been slain, yet he lives. I suggest to you, put this all together, that what was seen here is exactly what happened after Jesus left Mary Magdalene at the tomb. Remember that? Mary clung to Jesus and said, never leave us again, don't go again. You know, and Jesus said, hey, don't touch me. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to your father and my father, to my God and to your God. His terms to Peter, obviously, but it is as if he had just risen from the dead and he checks in with Mary to let her know that it's all okay, Mary, but I have yet to ascend to my father and your father. And with that, he's gone. And he ascends into the invisible half of the universe. What I'm looking at here and what I believe with all my heart in this picture of Revelation 5 is a symbolic picture of what happened. He is coming into the throne room. Where did he come from? Remember remember our picture of the tabernacle? He had just been to the brazen altar. He had just been slain at the cross. The blood has been shed. And now he, who is the offering and the priest at the same time, brings his own blood into the presence of the Father. And it is because of the blood because he is worthy that he can take the book. He has ascended into the presence of his Father, the finished work of Jesus Christ. I get excited about this. It's the picture of the Day of Atonement. Only the priest is also the sacrifice. And notice that it says he has seven horns. Mike only has six. <laughs> Seven horns. Again, the moment you say that, obviously, we are not looking at a reality. Hello? We are looking at a symbol. A lamb with seven horns. So immediately our head goes to this picture of what it must look like. A lamb with horns. Horns in the Bible. Check the Bible out. Universally, in fact, not just in the Bible, horns speak of power. And there are so many scriptures that are, are so obvious with that. I mean, that, that's, I'm getting, you know, we're, Wendy's been helping me work on, a, on, on our booklet on, the, on Daniel the Man, the book of Daniel there. And we'll be putting that out probably in about, I don't know, what, seven, eight months? No, I can't. We're just into the proofreading of it now, so it should be out in a couple weeks. But you're going to take a look in there. I mean, it, it's horns of power. It's all seven, seven, right? That is the number of who? 
God. And, and, and it, it's God in perfect action. And remember our numerology that we talked about in the beginning? That, you know, three plus four. Three, Trinity, four corners of all the world. It, 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 it's dealing with God in perfect action. Here is the perfect number, God. God's perfect power. That is a thought I believe that, well, I can tell you straight up, I could run with that for about another hour if you'd like me to. No, I didn't think so. But God's perfect power. It's, you're talking about omnipotence. A lamb. A dear little lamb. As if it had just been slain. And what does man do? He laughs at that. And he says, a lamb? That ha that, that's power? A lamb is the epitome of weakness. Who are you kidding? Slay it, and you got double weakness. Hello? God said, mm-mm, there is power. The lamb who has died for his enemies. It says he has the seven spirits of God. Again, please, we're not talking about numbers, but the symbol. Let me put it this way. You only know the power of the Holy Spirit because of Jesus Christ. Therefore, the Christian, if it says any man, you know, it says any man that has not the Spirit of Christ, right? It, it, we, all, we know the Holy Spirit only through Jesus Christ. There is no knowing of the Holy Spirit until I know Jesus as Lord, the one who died and rose again. This, this vision, okay, which introduces me to the Jesus of the book will become the main vision of Jesus. He is the one in the middle of the candlesticks. He will appear as the one on a white horse. Preview. But basically, the picture of Jesus in the book is of a lamb as it has been slain. And I believe that we have got that picture. It's not hard. This isn't a hard one to get. But as I go on with this, notice how these visions begin to move. First of all, we saw Jesus in the middle of the candlesticks, and we understood that we have to have a vital relationship to him. And then we see him seated upon the throne, coming to take the book that controls the world. First of all, I come to a vital union with Jesus. And after I have that vital union, vision one, then vision two, I begin to realize there is more to this than meets the eye. When I first came to Christ, I just thought it was, you know, on the Jericho Road, just room for two, you know, Jesus and me. Remember, how many remember that song? Three of you. Oh, boy. <clears throat> but it, it is the whole universe, friend. It's the past. It's the present. And it's the future. Hello? Look, everything, all of history, he is at the very center, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the lamb as he had been slain, and he took the book. That is the moment when you can shout all the way through history and all of the ages and cry out, it is finished, it is done, it is over. The one who was worthy to take the book, the decrees of God, and break its seals that man had put on them because of his choices. It says, upon that, the entire wholeness of heaven bursts into a new song. Can you imagine what that must have seemed? Ooh, I just get chills. But when I think about this, the reality that this book has been sealed because of man's condition, turning what God had done over to the devil, 
a slave to sin, bound up the power of God, that which was intended for you and me. And now he comes. He's God, but he's man, but he's God. And he, he, from the midst of this throne, he, he comes out. The lamb in the midst of the throne. The epitome of weakness. But in reality, the power of a God. And as he comes out, he has the perfect, the horns of power. You're dealing with the Holy Spirit power. That same spirit that raised right from the dead dwells in you. He will forgive your mortal body. I'm sorry, I get it. I get it. And, and then as he reaches out and he takes us, the worthy one, the worthy one, the one who's right, the entire heaven erupts. The vastness, the myriads, the saints, we call them the elders, doesn't matter, the angels, they all erupt. Worthy! is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Shiloh has come. <sighs> I need a moment. I'm just, I'm sorry. I just, they, 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 they song they sang. We're, we're going to be dealing with, with some of these songs as we go through the book, friend. But, that, that word, uh, revisit it a second. Th that word new in the Greek meant new in kind. That is a, 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 that's a song that's never been sung before. It's a new kind of song. Okay? I, I understand. It's not just a, a a song with different words. Does that make sense? Uh, it's, it's, it's not somebody rewriting the coal miner's daughter or something like that. I, I, let's put it this way. I might buy a new car. It's a new car. But it's not new in kind. I've had new cars before. But if I showed up here in a flying car, that would be a car of a new kind. I've never had that before. Does that make sense? I'm looking forward to that day. <laughs> then it, I get that parked out in the parking lot, and the theme song will be, Oh, fly away, oh, glory. Well, I'm just saying. So, somebody help the preacher here. He's, he's fading fast. And the new song is a new song that is new in kind. It's never, it's never been there before. It's never been sung before. And that new kind of song is, worthy is the Lamb. Shiloh, you've come. You have redeemed us with your blood. Every tribe, tongue, nation, and the whole place is, is just filled with a praise of triumph. You hear that echo? Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. And, 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 and it says, is under the earth, in the sea as well as on as well as humans on land and all of heaven circled around and worshiped that's what took place i believe on resurrection morning i believe that with all my heart what we're seeing is what took place on resurrection day he rose victorious. Mary, don't cling to me. I've not yet ascended yet. Be weak and relax. Amen.
there's, I could spend hours on this one part. But that's what took place. It, it is the key to history, friend. Uh, understand where, where Jesus is, and you will understand what history is about. This is why I get so impassioned by understanding the union that we have. That it's not us trying to work towards, do certain things, do enough, so that we might catch his attention. We try to yell loud enough or pray forward enough to try to get God down into our situations and circumstances. He's already there because he lives in here. We are joined to him. And for many believers, they, unfortunately, this thing gets in the way. So they never truly know what it means to live in that, to rest in that, that Hebrews talks about, to proceed from there, to be led by the Spirit. We look for some mysterious voice, right? Leroy, Leroy, I have come that you might have hair and have it more abundantly. <laughs> I figure if I'm going to get in enough trouble with doing revelations, I'll get in trouble with, with other things too. But I say this because in this union that we exist, his Spirit does what? Bears witness with who? Our what? Head? Spirit. And what's that bearing witness that we are who? The children of God. We are his. He is joined heirs. He came to bring us to the Father. He is in the Father. No, I'm getting into Sunday stuff. But, but, but my whole point is in that union. The reality of the Holy Spirit leading, guiding. This, this is the, I tell people all the time, you look, I'm the biggest Pentecostal you'll ever find. I, I pray, I love, I, I speak in tongues. I am unabashedly unashamed because the reality of speaking in other tongues. Now, I'll speak on that another time, but what I'm saying here is the, the, the reality of this is, is that that's not the function of the Holy Spirit to get me to speak in other tongues. And I, I love my Pentecostal heritage, but we put a lot of emphasis on speaking in other tongues as I was growing up as a kid. And I understand where that's coming from. That's why we had the charismatic kind of renewal and re all that other fun stuff and so forth. I say, oh, wait a minute. Understand that the main function of the Holy Spirit is to impart the life of Christ to me. That union that exists, and because that life is imparted to me and he abides in me, I abide in him, and he abides in Father, and Father abides in him, which means Father abides in... You know, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the whole purpose. Now, what does that mean? What does that do? What difference does that make? Where does that take you? How does that lead you? How does that guide? How do you live it? Well, I know what I should do and what I shouldn't do, and I know what I should be saying and not saying, I, and I shouldn't be involved in this or involved. I get that. But that's supposed to be the outcome of the condition that you live from. When this gets in the way, and see, this is the thing that I have, where this, what we're sharing with you, you've never heard this before. Why? Because it's, <laughs> okay, I don't, don't want to get in trouble with you. This is, okay, please don't, please don't hurt me after the service. But it's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. 
we try to sensationalize God. And we try to sensationalize ideas. And so we get carried away on thoughts and ideas and so forth and so on. Now, now uh, uh, you know, so that's why I come back to it and say, friends, you know, when we're done with this, it's up to you how you take a look at things. It's not going to bother me one way or another. The reality is I want you to have the full understanding in view of what this book represents. I want you to have that historical understanding of what the church walked in and understood as they not only were given this letter, but have believed for thousands of years. And in that is the word of God. You can't go through revelations without going through scripture. And so I bring it back to you and I say, let's walk through it. And I'll say it again, please, if you have questions, write them down. Just don't write them out and get caught there because if you don't forget about it after you write it down, then you're just going to, you know, obsess about it to the entire time and miss all the other stuff I've got to say. Now, next week, then you'll get, you're going to get jailed early now. <gasps> Dairy Queen is still open, friends. Yes, it is. I, I want you to take a hard look at, at, at chapter 6 and chapter 7. We're going to start on the horses, and I'm going to share with you what each one of those horses and riders needs. So I'm saying 6 and 7, but I want you to be familiar with both of those chapters because we're continuing on. It's still in Vision 2 here. We're still in Vision 2 as we get into those chapters. But, uh, I, I, you know... Do me a favor. When you read your scripture, could you put your thumb over the top of the publisher's, publisher's editorial? Because, I mean, you're going to come to it, you're going to read war, famine. Mm. No. That is a publisher's editorial. They put that there. That's not in the scripture. So, I mean, you know, they intend well, so forth and so on, but just, just put your thumb over it as you read through it so you're not influenced by it. Because otherwise, all you're going to think of, oh, this is the war one. Oh, this is the famine one. Oh, this is where they're going to all die. This is where a third of the earth is going to fall apart. Because we'll get into the bowls after the horses and so forth. We'll continue to walk through this, but they are all symbols with a very real understanding. I can't wait to get into uh, I'm going to do my best to make sure we cover all of 6 and 7 next week. So if we go a little bit longer, anybody, any problems with that? No? I, I'm trying to be very cognizant in understanding that you're only going to take in what the seat indoors. And if it's an overload, it's, it's you, you know, I know that you're only going to remember so much of what I talk about. But there is enough in there that as we go through it, the impact of those things should stand out. Amen? All right. Okay. How many noticed I didn't talk about the rapture last week? No, I didn't talk about the rapture? Because the church was already there. John gets called up from reality to the spiritual realm where he sees the whole picture of the Holy of Holies and the tabernacle, the brazen altar, the candlesticks, the loaves of bread, the, 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 the golden altar, the, 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 the Holy of Holies, the presence of God. It's all laid out before him. And there are 24 elders all around, right? Very symbolic, 12 Old Testament, you know, tribes, apostles, symbolic of the church. He's in the church. How many know there are saints already there before us? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. There's these songs, the excited about coming. Is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is.
stand with me, otherwise I won't keep talking. This, this is an exciting book. It's a revelation. It's an encouraging. It's an exciting. And as we talk about horses next week, how many know everything's not peachy? How many know there are problems? How many know there are hurricanes, tornadoes, sickness, disease? How many know there are corrupt governments, there are famines, there are financial woes? How many know that this world has problems? When you become a Christian, does it all go away? think it should <laughs> you are in the world but you're not of the world so if you're in the world you're going to be impacted by the world just as the world is impacted because the world is a fallen place but the lamb has taken the scroll and the purposes and the will of God to be released. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've been sharing with us. Thank you for stirring up in our spirits that which only you can. Holy Spirit, awesome. You are awesome. As we continue to be wrapped up in the glory of his presence. His presence. This is not a piece of him. It's not a part of him. It's all of him. And to realize that we are knit together in that love. One body joined together. Lord, let our minds begin to explode with the reality of what that means, what that is all about, and what can possibly take place. We are living in a day and an hour, Lord, where we don't know. We realize the seasons and that your imminent return is before us. Absolutely. But the reality of the life that we live in right now is huge. Open our eyes. Fill us with the knowledge of your will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Bless them, strengthen them, encourage them, prosper them, enlarge them, keep them safe, impart your health to them. Bless them in their coming ins and their going outs and in all that their hand finds to do. For again, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. somebody give him praise. He's worthy.